Well, I want to welcome the online campuses uh, to our, our second installment of our series, Real Life Marriage. We're so excited that you're with us. I just want to let you know that we are praying for you. We're with you. We have a team there that's praying for you. And so welcome to our service today. Uh, you know, there's, uh, as I was thinking last night, I want to introduce Coach Tom Mullins. Uh, how many of you know there's some people in your life that they're just, you just want them to be your dad, right? Or your grandpa, right? Well, Coach Tom, Pastor Coach Tom is one of those gentlemen. Uh, he and his wife, Donna, started Christ Fellowship Church uh, back 32 years ago of all places in West Palm Beach, Florida. Everybody say, aww. And so today the church is like 30,000 people. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> 30,000 people with nine campuses. And at Easter, they had 50, over 50,000 people that came to the church and over 40,000 people watching it online. Isn't that amazing? Let's give it up for Jesus. That's incredible. But uh, Pastor, Pastor Tom, he's an author, he's a sought-after speaker, he's very, very popular. And uh, he was uh, in high school, he played football, he went on and played football at a college level and then coached high school football and then coached at the college level. And so he's a real coach at heart, and we call him uh, Coach Tom. He also serves as president of the Equip Board, John Maxwell's Equip Board. And uh, several years ago, John Maxwell had a vision to equip a million leaders around the world. And, uh, and some of us actually participated in doing that. And Coach Tom is actually overseeing that now. And uh, Pastor Steve is also on that board, uh, the Equip Board. And uh, very, 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 very prestigious position. And so uh, I want us to do this. I, I want us just to just stand up and give Pastor Tom Mullins a warm South Louisiana welcome to Coach Tom. <laughs> All right, brother. Love you, Randy. All right. Church of the King, I love Church of the King. Oh yeah, and I love Louisiana. You may be seated. I've learned to love you through your pastor. Uh, pastor Steve and I have become very close. He's like a spiritual son to me. We talk almost every week, uh, and, and I wish you could be in on our conversations because he speaks with such affection about you. And he's always wanting to learn and grow as a leader and how can I better serve my people and how can I better love them? How can I help them grow and fulfill their mission? So. He is phenomenal, I love your pastor. Listen, you need to really pray every day for your pastor and Jennifer because they carry the load and the weight of lifting you up before the Lord every day. So pray for your pastor, love your pastor, and uh, when you see him, just tell him you love him. You know, every, every, uh, every week, I, I've been teaching now with our church, you know, now almost 32 years, and every week I try to tell my people how much I love them, because I do. God has placed a genuine love in my heart, and our people love us. It's a great to be in a place where you really love each other and able to express that love one to another. And, and then I came down, because I, I got my real good buddy standing on the front row down here, Charlie and his wife, Sheila. Uh, when I first met Charlie years ago, um, uh, Char I walked up to Charlie, said, how you doing, brother? He said, I'm doing good, brother. He said, I'm in the fog. I said, you're what? He said, I'm in the fog. He said, I'm in the fog. My family's in the fog. My business is in the fog. He said, I'm just living in the fog. He said, I'm having the time of my life. I'm in the fog. I said, really? I said, what the fog be? He said, the fog is the favor of God. I said, well, come here and get some fog on me. You know what I'm talking about? Come on, come here. So I've been hanging around Charlie a lot because he, he travels in the fog. You know what I mean? So I've taken that Louisiana term, the fog, around the world with me as I speak. And I talk about the fog. Matter of fact, I was speaking, Charlie, in Copenhagen, uh, and uh, I'm in Copenhagen, and, and here suddenly they had smoke machines for the praise and worship, and one of the smoke machines got haywired and took off on its own tangent, and they couldn't turn it off. And so the music is over, and I'm time to preach. I walk up. You cannot see me. 
I am in the fog. And then the fog began to get out over top of the people. And so I said, oh, brothers and sisters, we be in the fog right now, you know. And I started talking to them about the Louisiana fog of God, the favor of God. Preached a whole sermon on it until the fog went away. Then I got back on track. But uh, I love to be around the fog. That's why I love being here in Louisiana. Yeah, I grew up, uh, I grew up in southern Ohio. My grandfather was my pastor, and um, uh, he, he, he taught me a lot. I'm going to talk about Grandpa a little bit today because his life and the way he loved his wife, my grandmother, became such a model in my, in my family. My daddy was a good man, hardworking man, but uh, he, uh, he never knew the Lord. And so my mother is the one that had to always make sure we were in church and then get us with grandma and grandpa. And I, and I kind of gravitated to my grandfather. He was a man's man. You would have loved him. He was about six foot four, big, strong, rugged guy. Loved to hunt and fish. But his number one passion was God. He loved God. His number two passion was people. He loved people. His number third passion was hunting and fishing. I called all three. I, I got addicted with all three of them from him. Because you know what? I've learned this. Whatever you're passionate about becomes contagious to those closest to you. You know, and it's, and it's important in our families because we're struggling in our, in our families today and relationships are a mess. Matter of fact, I was looking up on, on uh, I had one of my sisters look up on Amazon, how many books are written about family, just with family somewhere in the title. You know, it was close to 6 million books have been written about family. People are searching to how to figure out how to make life work, how to make marriage work, how to make this parenting thing work. And by the way, parenting doesn't get easier when your kids get older. You think you get through certain stages, it's going to get easier. It doesn't always do that. I tell you, when you deal with adult kids sometimes, <laughs> it can get tough too at all levels. I mean, come on. I can at least have one amen on that. Anyway, but so I saw a couple books on, on parenting. I just want to show you. I want to tell you real quick. I like this one. Here, duct tape parenting. I like that one. Now, the only problem with this is that the duct tape should be over the kid's mouth. I duct taped my sister's mouth one time. She, we, we had to sleep in the same room when we were little young, and she snored. So I didn't like it. I couldn't get her to shut up, so I duct taped her. She has not forgiven me to this day. She hasn't forgiven me for that. No, but here's my favorite of all right here. Look at this one. How to traumatize your children, seven proven methods to help, screw, uh, help you screw up your kids. <laughs> in our house, my mother was a disciplinarian because dad was never there. And, and, and by the way, in our house, timeout meant, I'm gonna give you timeout to catch your breath while I'm whipping you. I'm, I'm beating you and I'm okay, timeout. <laughs> womb, womb, womb. I mean, that's our timeout. Now, this, this new timeout stuff, I don't know about that stuff, but. But my dad, my dad had his own method to traumatize us. Uh, when, when I remember one time, and I, I get in trouble, they, my mother hollered Tommy Dale. My Dale's my middle name, and, and, and Tom, Thomas, or Tommy, whatever you want to do. And so she hollered, Tommy Dale. When that happened, I was running. I'm booking. Dad's laying on the couch. He'd just gotten in from a long-haul truck drive. He was gone six days a week, typically. And he, I'd pull off his big old boots and set them down beside him. And I went running by Dad. Dad didn't even get up off the couch. He just picked up one of his boots and goes... Well, I saw the boot coming, so I ducked around into a corner. I don't know if he had those boots made in Australia, but they had a boomerang effect. You know what I mean? That boot went around that corner, caught me, clicked me, knocked me down, and went foom, 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 foom back to him. I'm going, how did he do that? 
Well, when I was 16, I met my, uh, <clears throat> my wife. I saw her, she walked, into a, she walked into a little youth camp thing we were doing and she had on this brown dress and I'm talking about, wow. I'd never seen a woman look that beautiful in my life. The girls where I grew up just didn't have that genetic disposition. You know what I mean? I mean, she, <laughs> she was a notch above and I looked at her and I thought, oh my goodness. And so I, I, I made a dollar bet with a guy, I'd get a date with her before he could. And I, I stalked her until I talked her into dating me. And here's, and, and by the way, by the way, uh, girls, let me, give, let me give you a tip. My wife had enough wisdom. When I wanted to date her, the only place she would allow me to date her was in church. I had to go to church with her. If I wanted to be with her, we sat in church. By the way, if a 16-year-old boy is trying to date you, don't you dare trust him, make him come to church and date you in church, okay? That's where you want to be. Hormones make young men go nuts. They have no sense at all. They're crazy. We hung out in church. Finally, I talked to her at the age of 20 to marry me. We, um, I remember we got married on a Saturday night. My grandfather performed a ceremony, and boy, I took off to the first Holiday Inn I could find. <laughs> we didn't have Holiday Inn Express. All we had was Holiday Inn. We maybe been a little smarter if we stayed at Holiday Inn Express, but... So Sunday morning comes, my first day, married life, my wife been waiting four years for this. We'd made a covenant to keep ourselves pure. And, and one of the ways we honored that covenant was we prayed together on every date. Once again, my wife's idea. She, <laughs> be in church and, and we're gonna pray, you know? It's hard to get out of balance when you're praying. Not that I didn't try to get out of balance, but I'm telling you, Prayer is an amazing thing, keep you on balance. So, so here it is, Sunday morning, our first day married couple. I've been waiting four years to be with my sweetheart. She's up getting dressed. I said, where are you going, baby? She said, we're going to church. I said, church, we're not going to church today. I've been waiting four years for this. You ain't going nowhere to church. I got other plans on my mind today. She said, no, we're going to church. Guess where we went? To church. Guess where we've been every Sunday since? Church. You want the secret to a real marriage? When you truly keep God center-focused of it, and you keep the work of God center-focused of it, it always brings balance back to the relationship. I mean, you can't have a relationship, not have struggles, not have challenges, not have ups and downs. Matter of fact, I'd love to come preach sermons on time on how to fight right in your marriage. Because you're gonna fight, so why not fight right? You know what I mean? You're gonna duke it out, so let's do it the right way according to biblical principles. The Bible says you can be angry and sin not. You know, I don't, I don't want to go down. I'll get on another road. But she's been a wonderful woman to me. I love her today. She fires me up. I look at her, and I still see that 16-year-old girl in that brown dress, and I go, whoop, whoop, Ted is. I'm, oh, my goodness. <laughs> Come on, baby. And, you know, and, she, she, and, and God's kept a spark in our life and our love and our relationship, and it's because we've kept Jesus and ministering to the Lord. Even when I was a football coach, every weekend, our local church, we were there and we were involved. We didn't just sit and spectate. We got connected. We found a way to serve. And we brought our kids up serving. Now our kids are serving the Lord full time. Our son's preaching and teaching to, to literally tens of thousands of people around the world every week. Our daughter works with our children's home that we have. We care for over 200 foster care children every day in our children's home down there in the West Palm Beach area. And she works in that ministry. Because the kids grew up in that, and, and, and we were fortunate enough to grow up in that because we just made Christ at the center of it. My wife's such a caretaker. I mean, she just takes care of me all the time. I was telling them a funny story. 
uh, uh, back in the, in, in, before we came out about my wife. She's so cl- uh, funny. She came up to me, uh, this was some time ago. She walked up, she had this panicked look on her face. She said, I can't believe what I've done. I said, what is it, baby? See, every morning she walks with a handful of pills. I don't know what they are. She gives them to me. She said, take them, take them, take them. She's like a pill Nazi, take them. I just drink them. I don't know. At night she goes, here, here's pills. She's like, I'm a kid. She forces <laughs> drink them. Hey, you got So I don't even know what I'm taking. So she comes up to me and she got this panicked look on her face and she says, oh, by the way, don't tell her I'm telling this story. If we're streaming this, cut it for just a second. Anyways, so she, she comes up, she goes, I can't believe what I've been doing. I said, what do you do, baby? She said, she said well, I have a hormone pill that looks just like one of the pills you're supposed to be taking. And she says, I've made a mistake. I realized I've been giving you my hormone pills for the past week. I said, well, that explains, honey. I said, I've been so moody and I've had this urge to shave my legs and I couldn't figure out what that was. Actually, as soon as that happened, I went that next Sunday and told that story on our church. Oh, you should have seen the women. They went, oh. <laughs> they all felt for Donna. Poor Donna, she's blinking red. She's looking at me like that look. And now I got to remember, fight right, fight right. Anyways, but what a precious woman. What a precious gift. But I think that I was fortunate because I had a model for me. I had a model in my grandfather and grandmother who modeled for me what it meant to love each other in the love of Christ in the home. And I was blessed because not everybody has that model. My wife didn't grow up with that model. Most of my father's family didn't really have that model. I was fortunate I had that, and I didn't have the direct model, but I had that model in my grandparents, I saw them. My grandfather, he flirted with my grandmother up till the day he died. He'd pinch her on the cheek, He'd wink at her. He'd walk by and pat her on the backside. He'd be kissing up on her all the time. He, he, he wouldn't let her alone in the house. And you, you know what amazing is the boy growing up watching that and smiling and laughing at that and watching it, but I watched how he loved her, how she loved him, how they were devoted to each other and how they loved God and how they loved people. And it changed my perspective about how life is supposed to be because somebody modeled it for us. So my wife didn't have that model for her, so I was convinced that we were going to model it, and we were going to carry it on and model it for our children so our children could model it for their children. I don't know where you're coming from today. I don't know what situation you came out of. You may have come out of a situation like my, my grandparents, or you may come on like my dad's family, that there was no model. They never said, I love you. They never were affectionate. They were good people, hardworking people. They provided for us, but they didn't know how to really model or speak life into us in relationships. And we're all struggling for that. And we're looking every day to try to find it when reality, the greatest thing and source for it is right here. The word of God gives us all the hidden secrets to everything we're longing for in life. I remember one time I was interviewed, I was coaching at Georgetown College and uh, uh, a guy from Louisville Courier came over and he said, uh, I want to interview you. Coach, uh, what's been the secret of your success? You seem like everything you touch, you win. And I said, yeah, I, I found an ancient playbook. It's got these ancient plays in it that work every time. He said, really? So he, you know, he, 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 and I said, I said, would you like to see it? He said, oh, can I see it? So oh, yeah, I'll show it to you. I reach over on my desk and I pull up my Bible and I said, 
The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. It teaches me about life. It teaches me about love. It teaches me about leadership. It teaches me how to work men. It teaches me how to add value. It teaches me how to handle my marriage, how to raise my kids. Everything I need, God's given it to us in this storehouse of wisdom right here, right here. We don't need six million books written on family on Amazon. We, we need one. And when we get the principles of this one in us, it's amazing what it will do. So you ready? Here we go. Come on. Tell, look at somebody and say, get ready. Let's go. Tell them right now. Get ready. Let's go. I want you to turn to Mark chapter 5. We're going to look at a story of a desperate man in a desperate situation. And in this story, I want to draw out for you a few principles that are fundamental to all relationships. They're fundamental to your marriage. They're fundamental to you as a parent. They're fundamental to you as sibling relationships. They're fundamental to you and your relationships with people you work with. Anywhere you've got a relationship, because life is about relationship. And the one thing is very simple. We all know this. Amen? If this relationship isn't right between us and God through Christ, these relationships will never be right and in balance. So when I get this one in balance, really keep it in balance, it's amazing what it does to bring the others into balance in my life. So let's pick up the story. Chapter 5, Mark, verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him, and while he was, it was by the lake, then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there, seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly, earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying, please come, put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. I love the earnest cry in his voice. He was a desperate man. He was in anguish over his daughter. And he knew that he had to get to the right person. Jesus was that person. So I love this. Jesus saw, he heard, he felt this man's pain. And so he went with him and a large crowd followed and pressed around him. The very first thing we have to do with all relationships is we have to bring them to the feet of Jesus. We have to learn how to daily intercede on behalf of our family, daily intercede on behalf of our companion, daily intercede on behalf of our children. And the more desperate the situation, the more desperate we need to be to get there. What I love it was he had to fight through all the pretense because, see, the religious leaders of that time of the synagogues, they, they looked down upon Jesus. The synagogue leaders in a nearby town called Nazareth had just tried to kill Jesus right before this story. And now Jairus would be uh, almost excommunicated from the other leadership in his village because he is associating with this radical new teacher that many thought were even from hell, not from God. But Jairus had the discernment to know, and he fought his way through that crowd. It was not easy. He had to lay down his titles. He had to lay down his reputation. He had to lay down everything to get to the feet of Jesus. I tell you, sometimes we got to get so desperate, we'll rip the roof off to get to the feet of Jesus. we got to be so desperate, we'll climb a tree and lose our dignity in order to get close to deity as Zacchaeus did. Or we might be so desperate, we say, come on, Jesus, put the mud on my eyes. All I know is I'm blind and I want to see. There's something about the cry of a desperate heart that captures the heart of God. I think it'd be another great beatitude, blessed are the desperate, for they will get to the place of God. 
It's in our desperate plea and desperate cries. When we run to Jesus and we get there, and here's what I know. There are times in our family's lives that our family don't have enough faith to get to him, so we got to get there for them. His daughter was too sick. She could not be at the feet of Jesus. He could not carry her there physically, but he carried her there spiritually, and he interceded. We've got to learn to get in his presence. And here's what I've learned. If you're going to get your companion in his presence, if you're going to get your children in his presence, you've got to first get in his presence yourself because we've got to intercede. And I'll tell you what I love about this story is when he got in his presence, he suddenly started to get onto the journey of what had to happen for his family. I love this verse in James 5, 16. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. May we never forget the power of prayer. So oftentimes, in times of facing crisis in our marriage or crisis in our family, we'll run to counsel here, counsel there, counsel there, and counsel is good, and we need counsel. But the first counsel we need is the counsel of God in prayer. And prayer should not be our last resort. Prayer should be our first response. Amen? And I'll tell you something else. I, uh, coaches are big on preparation. You don't win unless you're prepared to win. And if you want to have a, a marriage that's going to win, if you want to have a family that's going to win, you got to prepare for victory in that family by staying in the presence of Jesus constantly in prayer, interceding, carrying them by faith, believing and expecting. What I love about Jairus is when he showed up on the scene to Jesus, he realized, Jesus, I need you to come and put your hand on my daughter so she will be healed. He came with expectation. He came with faith. He knew that Jesus was the one that had the power to raise his dead daughter up. Because when he left her, her breathing was so labored. She was struggling. She was starting to rattle with the sounds of death. The darkness and despair had already enveloped the family. He fled that darkness running towards the light to get in the presence of Jesus. We've got to get desperate. We can't give up. And what I love about this, in the middle of his desperation, Jesus agrees to go with him. And look what happens. On the way to Jairus' house, they have an interruption. You remember the story of the woman had the issue of blood for 12 years, pressed through the crowd to touch the hem of the garment, and she was healed. Remember that story? That happened right now. I can't imagine what Jairus was thinking. He's Jairus like going, Really? My daughter's dying and you're interrupting? We're stopping the whole thing? And, 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 and Jesus is like saying, who touched me in the crowd? Well, there's a crowd around you. No, I felt the virtue go out of me. And he finds a woman. And she comes over and she says what her situation is. And he looks at the woman and says, your faith has made you whole. And then as this is happening, people come from Jairus' house and tell Jairus, your daughter has died. Don't bother the master anymore. She's died. What was going through Jairus right then? He came to Jesus. If he hadn't had that interruption, maybe they couldn't have gotten back in time to save his daughter. Why in the world, Lord, did you, you're healing this woman and my daughter died. Why, why God, are you allowing that to happen? I don't understand, Lord, why you're doing that. Let me caution you. It's at times when things feel like they're falling apart 
They're really just falling into place. Now think about that. There are times when it feels like they're falling apart, but what's really happening is they're all falling into place for Jesus to do his best work. So here's, here's what I know. What would have been your tendency right then as a man? I know what would have been mine. As soon as I got that word that my daughter had died, I would have left that scene and I would have been running as hard as I could to get in that house, to get that baby in my arms and do what I could do to get my wife in my arms. There's no way that I'm going to not be there in that moment of crisis and death. But note what happens. Note what happens here. Look down at verse 36. Jesus says, ignoring what they said. See, it takes great spiritual strength to ignore, ignore all the things we're hearing, to ignore all the things we're feeling, to ignore all the impulses that we have within us, to ignore the pain that sometimes drives us, to ignore what the voices of other counsel will tell us. It takes great strength to ignore that. Look what it says. He said, ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, he said, don't be afraid, he said, just believe. So while you're waiting for your miracle, you look around and celebrate the other miracles that God's doing because in that celebration, your strength will be strengthened. Your faith will be strengthened. Your faith will be strengthened and God's timing is shaping up for exactly what he wants to do the way he wants to do it. Because let's face it, I would have had Jesus touch my baby before she died, not after she died. But that was not in the plan of God. Because see, the plan of God was that we'd be talking about the story today here in Louisiana. To give us hope in the midst of what seems to be some hopeless situations we're dealing with. We've got some great, dark, despairing things in our relationships that we're dealing with right now. Some of you are struggling with it right now, and I've come to give you a good word. Hold on. Stay in the presence of God. Not only get in the presence, but stay in the presence of God. Don't leave the side of Jesus. Stay with him. In his due season, he will get you to where you need to be and do what needs to be done. Don't run from him in the pain. Don't run from him in the darkness. Don't run with him when things seem to be silent. Don't you dare run from God. You cling tighter to him in those times. Amen? That's what the word of God has for us. And so they go. We had a little boy named 13-year-old Daniel just recently in our church. He passed out of school with violent seizures. They took him to the hospital and they found this massive brain tumor on this 13-year-old boy. His father was a doctor. He went in to examine all the scans and all the tests and there was nothing they could do. It was inoperable. They said, all we can do is try to make your son comfortable, but his time is very short. They were desperate. They came to church as distraught as you could be, and they left their son in an intensive care unit. But mom and dad said, we've got to come and bring our son to Jesus. So they came to church. They came and got the elders. They came and prayed. They began to intercede. And boy, I mean, they agonized in prayer. There came a moment in that time of prayer that I sensed God's peace kind of sweep over us. And and I said, you know, I, I don't have the answer. I don't know what to do, but let's just keep trusting God. Let's keep holding on. Let's keep believing. Let's keep, let's keep persevering. Let's keep praying. 
Monday morning came, the doctor went straight in, said, I want all the tests run again. Every test he ran, I want them run again. I want them all run again. They took him out of intensive care, ran through all the tests, and to the amazement of everyone in the hospital, they could not find one trace of that tumor in that boy's brain. Not one trace. Now, I gotta be honest with you, I prayed for people and we've not seen that healing come. But I've witnessed God heal time and time again. I'm here to tell you God's sovereign. I can't always answer why he chooses at certain times to raise up and why he chooses other times to allow that child to go into eternity. But I do know this, our role and responsibility is to believe. Our role and responsibility is to intercede. Our role and responsibility is to hold on to God. Our role and responsibility is to claim the, the promises of God and live in those and not let ourselves be overwhelmed with that. I have another doctor in our church whose son went home to be with the Lord. What he chose to do was let that to motivate him to be even bolder in his faith for the things of the kingdom of God. And now he's preaching the gospel around the world. He said, if my son hadn't been taken from me, I would have been content to be the top cardiologist in my region. A graduate of Yale and all the prestigious things that go with that and all the comforts of life. But now he's preaching the gospel around the world because he's living for eternity that God took his son there. We got a battle to get in the presence and we got a battle to stay in the presence. And then I love this. Look in, look in verse 38. Then they came home to the home of the synagogue ruler and Jesus saw a commotion with people crying, wailing loudly. And he went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. Wow. And then he put them out. I like that. Those scoffers, those doubters, he put them out. Okay, so I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you two points here. Here, here. Here's your third point of the sermon. You gotta bring Jesus home with you. You gotta take his presence home. It is imperative for us that we create homes that have the culture where Christ is exalted in the home. Christ is modeled in the home. He's not compartmentalized. One thing Don and I learned years ago was this. We cannot rely upon the church to do the spiritual education of our children. That's the responsibility of the home. And fathers, let me call you guys up. As men, you naturally are the physical providers and protectors that's wired in us. But so oftentimes we allow our wives to take the spiritual lead in the house. In reality, we are to be the men who set the spiritual tone over our family. And we're intentional about it. And we're and now, now, our wives will always be more spiritual than us. There's no doubt about it. They communicate better. You know, Pastor Steve talked about they you know, took the rib out of a woman last week and so she could be a companion beside them. Well, I'm gonna tell you what was in that rib. Okay, you wanna know what was in that rib? This is my theory. It was the center of communication. They took the center of communication out of man and made woman with it. That's why she's able to communicate and talk. Men, we grunt, moan, and make sounds. <laughs> One of our highest levels of communication, driving our trucks down the road, when the fellow person comes by, we know is this right here. You men know it. Here's how we communicate. Men can ride along for hours in a truck, not say a word, just stare. 
until we see something that looks like wild animals. Hey, hey, did you see how I think of deer? I saw deer here. <laughs> look at that coon dog. Oh, man, that, that looks like a good coon dog over there. Yeah, yeah. How's your day, honey? Good. What'd you do today? All nothing. How'd you feel about what you did today? Feel about how I did today. Uh, good. <laughs> hey, Pastor, she said it last week. You got to learn to appreciate who we are. We're just very limited in our communication ability because you got our rib. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, girls, give us a break. Even though we're not great communicators, we do carry the responsibility to be intentional about time in our homes. I made prayer normal in our home. We prayed over everything. We'd have Bible stories. We'd do everything. And you know what else I did? And I think it's so important, Don and I did, we made church fun for our kids whenever we go to church. My, mother, my little mother would do that for me. She'd take me to church alone, and she'd stop at A&W root beer stand and get me a little mini A&W root beer float. It's like a little treat. So every time we went to church, they had a little treat, and we'd go to somebody's house and get a little treat. We didn't have anything. I had an outhouse until I was in the sixth grade. Some of you don't know what an outhouse is. Bless your hearts. I'm glad you don't know what an outhouse is. You walk to one in the heat of summer or in the cold of winter, and you'll appreciate an outhouse. You know what I'm talking about? Is there anybody in Louisiana that even knows what I'm talking about when I say outhouse? Bless your heart. See, in Florida, none of them know it. Them bunch of Northeasterns moved down there. They don't know anything. And Yankees, I'll tell you what, I don't know. I just, I don't know why God called me to pastor so many Yankees from up north. They don't even know how to make sweet tea. It's pitiful. <laughs> they have mint tea, raspberry tea. And I said, now give me some sweet tea. Pour some sugar in that sucker. Let's get after it. Come on. <laughs> what I'm talking about. But we got to take him into our homes. We got to be intentional and we got to kick some things out too. You know, wouldn't it be amazing? We just let the golden rule rule in our homes. We love each other, treat each other, speak to each other the way we want to be talked to, spoken to, treated. We started respecting each other. I want to tell you this right now. And I, I, I tell men this all the time when I speak to men. Men, the greatest gift you can ever give your children is for them to see you loving their mother. There's, no, there's not greater stability that I got than watching my grandfather love my mother, my grandmother. And the way he loved his, my mother and the way he loved me. I saw that, and so I, I, I wanted to model that. And I wanted my kids growing up in the security that mom and dad really do love each other. Mom and dad love God. Mom and dad love you. And dad will wear you out if you get out of boundaries. And then we taught our kids everything according to the word of God because we knew the word of God was given for twofold purposes. It was given to bless us and protect us. The word is to bless us and to protect us. And so when you build your life, your principles, your decisions, your worldview, everything on the word of God, it's there to bless you and it's there to protect you. And it's there to enhance everything about. So you got to carry it home. You got to get the disbelief out. I could, I could spend a whole message on what we need to kick out. But just ask God the question today. God, is there something in our relationship? Is there tone, attitude, spirits? Uh, sometimes we talk to each other like we never talk to a stranger. Well, Gosh, we just can't do that. We got to guard that. We got to take him home. We got to take control of that home environment. And then we have to do this. We have to speak life. Look what Jesus did 
in verse 40. He took the child's father, mother, the disciples who were with him. They went into where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha Ka'um. Talitha Ka'um. Would you say that to somebody close by to you? Say, Talitha, Talitha Ka'um. Say it. You can do it. Talitha Ka'um. You're speaking Aramaic right now. Talitha Ka'um. Little girl, get up. He spoke life. Talitha Ka'um. Life. He spoke life into her, and she came. One of the most important things we can do in our homes is learn to speak life over our relationships. Speak life over our children. Speak life over our our companions and our marriage. We need to speak life. In my daddy's house, uh, my dad was a good man. I love my daddy. He, He gave his heart to Jesus, as I told you right before he died. My son led him to the Lord. But he was always a good man, hardworking man. But his side of the family, they just were negative people. They always saw things from a negative bent. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If we ain't got no bad luck, we ain't got no luck at all. Hee-haw, hee-haw, hee-haw. That was how they were. You'd say something good around them, they'd find something bad to say. you say something good to say about a person. Oh, yeah, but you don't know what I know. <laughs> Praise God I took after my mother's side of the family. They all were positive. Zippity-doo-dah, zippity-yay. My, oh, my, what a wonderful day. Plenty of sunshine heading my way. Come on. Zippity-doo-dah, zippity-yay. Opposite as they could be. My sister took after my daddy's side of the family, bless her heart. That's why I duct tape her whenever I can. (laughs) My wife grew up in a home that they never said, I love you in the home, had no affection in the home. My home, because of my grandfather and grandmother's influence and my mother's influence, we're like a bunch of Italians. We're hugging and kissing all the time. Hey, I'm going out to play. Be back. Love you. Well, I came in. I'm dirty. Hey, I love you. Good. What's up? So I, I kind of grew up that way. I embarrassed my son years ago. You remember years ago before they got the 9-11 and all that stuff, you know, where you could literally walk to the gate and meet someone coming off the plane. And Todd had been traveling, my son, and he's, he's an adult, you know, adult at this time, and he's married, and he's traveling. He, he comes walking off the plane, and as he walks off the plane, I hadn't seen him for about a week or so, and I really missed him. He walks up, and I walked right up and kissed him on the lips. <laughs> just right there in the airport, just planted one right on him. And a woman was standing there beside us. And she looked at me with this look that's so indignant. And I can't dare you would do such a disgusting thing like that. And I said, it's my son. It's my son. And then Saad said, Dad, don't kiss me like that again in public. He said, <laughs> We're just a kissing bunch. We're a kissing bunch. You know, my grandson's 19. Come on, baby. Right here, I want your planet right here. Come give me a kiss, baby. Give me a kiss, you know. Now, I don't kiss him. I don't kiss him at church. I kiss him a little on the cheek at church. I give him a kiss on the cheek. I give him a kiss on the cheek. But when I grew up, I finally got Donna to work on her family. I said, hey, go in there and tell him, hey, when you say goodbye, just say, I love you. I can't do that. I can't do that. Yeah, you can do that. I can't do that. Hey, 30-year-old woman, come on, you can do this. She goes in, uh, uh, we're leaving now, uh, uh, mom and dad, I love you. <laughs> She did it long enough until eventually one day they responded back, I love you too. 
It was a shocker day. My wife's weeping. I can't believe it. Here she'd grown up her whole life. Never heard her parents ever say to her, I love you. That, by the way, if you've been raised in that environment, you can change it. You can, don't use it as, well, that's just not the way we are. Well, I tell you something, you need to change. You know what? You need to change. You need to express to your children how much you love them. And I want to tell you something. I don't care how old your kids get, they still need to hear mom and dad say, I love you, son. I love you, daughter. Every day I tell my son, I tell my daughter, I tell my grandson, I tell my wife, I tell my daughter-in-law, I tell them all I love you. If I text them, I always end it with, I love you, dad. I tell my people every week at church, you know I love you. Church of the King, I love you. I love you. I love you. I, I got a note. I got a note recently from a woman. She sent me a note and she said, my daughter and I, uh, are, are, my husband left us and deserted us and we're alone. And she said, I can't tell you, Pastor, what it means to hear you say every week how much you love us because we know you do. And it's the only time in the week that we have anyone that says to us that they love us. And it broke my heart. We must speak life. My grandfather spoke so much life over me, and he believed in me and always had, had this look that God's got is going to have his hand. Tommy, he's going to bless you, Tommy. He's going to use you, Tommy. And, and God's, God's got a purpose for you, Tommy. And, and I believe in you, Tommy. And I love you, Tommy. And he kept speaking life over me and life over me, life over me, to where I begin to live that life and try to reach up to take hold of that life that he was speaking over me. And I was able then to, to get a little bit of that life. And then I started speaking that life over my children. And now my children are speaking life over others. And now my grandson, you ought to see the letters he's writing. My grandson is 19. He has a high-functioning, he's a high-functioning autistic child. The letters he writes of affirmation to other people will blow you away. He's writing and speaking life over other people. It's a generational thing that, that was passed down from my grandfather right on down through now to, my, to my, these generations with my grandchildren and for generations to come. I love this quote from Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa said this. She said, kind words can be short and easy to speak, but their echoes are truly endless. Is that not a powerful quote? Do we have that quote? Can we put that quote up? That Mother Teresa quote? That is a great quote. We need to focus on speaking life and there's some situations you think are kind of hopeless right now. There's some situations in marriages that might seem a little hopeless. There may be some things, but remember now, Jairus' daughter was dead when Jesus said, Talitha Kaum. I think we need to speak Talitha Kaum over those things that seem to be dead and watch God bring them to life and transform them. And may it be our legacy that we were those who were so passionate about the things of God that became contagious into our family and into those generations that follow us. And may our passion be a part of our legacy and may our speaking life be a part of our legacy. And may we begin to be those who speak life over each other and watch God then bring life and raise that which was dead to life. Amen. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Father, we take this message from your word today and we pray that you will seal it deep into our hearts. 
And Lord, I pray this message will bring hope and life to us today as we realize there's nothing too great for you. There's nothing too hopeless, nothing too far gone, nothing too desperate. That if we get to your feet and we stay with you and we bring you into this situation, into our home, into the relationship, we are able to kick out the things that would be of disbelief and doubt in our life. And we begin to speak life over those things that are dead, that your miraculous power is released to do miracles in our lives, in our families, in our relationships. So may we go with expectant hearts. May our heads come up. May we lift ourselves out of despair and depression. And may we look to you with great hope and radiance because you're the source of life. And I speak today to Letha Kaum over the church of the King. I speak life over the church of the King. I speak God vibrancy over the marriages of the church of the King, over the families of the church of the King. I pray your favor. I pray the fog, the favor of God will roll in heavy over the church and over the people, over their families, over everything they touch that will bring honor and glory to you. And it will bring life and that life will speak of you, Lord Jesus. When we see the transformation of the family, we see the strengthening of the church and through the strengthening of the church, we will see the transformation of the nations. God, that's our prayer. So I pray your blessing, your favor, your goodness, your Talitha Kaum over your people. In Jesus' name. <laughs>